For tuning in to the 395th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you're listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting ever platform you may be listening to me via. Ultra special shout out to everybody who's tuning in via Elevation Sports Radio in Denver. Appreciate y'all for tuning in as well. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Gonna have a great pod for you guys. Gonna have Chris. Manning on the show, host the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. I talked to him about the Cavs surprise run, NBA All-Star game in Cleveland, also the LeBron Kyrie era, uh, how those things all materialize. We talk about the Warriors series, that just that time of Cleveland basketball and how special it was. Before I get to the conversation, I have a Chris. Uh, shameless plug as always, first time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify, I have everything timestamped. Uh, click on that timestamp that will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitro underscore Lane. Also, Subscribe to my YouTube channel, just type in Daryl Lane, you will find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, then give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything, because you know what your mama told you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Chris Manning on the show, host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Chris Manning, host of the Locked on Cavs podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. So first, I have to ask you this. How cool is it that NBA All-Star Weekend is going to be in Cleveland? It's really cool. Um, you know, I like you know, the, when the finals were here, and I, I only got to cover 2018 when I went out of college by then, and that was a ton of fun and, and crazy, and I'm sure this will be fun and crazy, and get to see some, you know, I mean, so much like get to see some people I don't always get to see, and it, it should be really cool, I and mean, it obviously means a lot more for the city, I think, that, you know, Jared Allen and Darius Garland will be representing the team, like, that in itself is really cool, and, and um, as, a, as a Cleveland person, as a person who, like, loves the city and everything, it's, it'll be cool to, to for people to come, even though it's, you know, February, I'm sure there'll be some You have a favorite part of All-Star Weekend? Whether it's the dunk contest, the three-point shooting contest, the skills challenge, just the, the game in general? So I would say All-Star Saturday night just because when I was in college, I went to uh, my university and my wife, my now wife, went to Miami. So we would, in Oxford, like four hours across the state, so like a pretty, and I was always on Valentine's Day weekend. So I would like drive that weekend every year. And the Cavs weren't good, so like I, I not, and like it, when I was in college and before, so it wasn't like I had like stuff necessarily to do that weekend, like guys participating or whatever. But I would like go visit her, and we would just watch All Star Saturday night, and you know, hang out, and you know, it would just kind of relax. So, like I have like a fond attachment to All Star Saturday night just because of just because of that. It has nothing really to do with like what goes on or 
I just think I got I just like have memories of that. But I think that like that's still probably the most it's just kinda of fun. It's just something you don't get to do a lot. It's kinda of relaxed. And like the All Star game itself is just kinda of it for me. So I, for me it's All Star Saturday night. So you mentioned Allen and uh, Darius Garland, they get the All-Star nod. How shocked were you that Mobley didn't get any, you know, much more All-Star consideration? Because I feel like there was kind of a heavy push for him. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, right? Like, I think he is someone who, I, I think, I think number one, will make a lot of All-Star. I think, I think, like, in terms of, like, what his impact has been versus, like, what Jared Allen's impact has been, and, and like, you compare those two experience with front court guys, I think Allen's just more ahead on the offense. Side of the ball. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. I think Allen is just the head uh, on the offensive side of things, and that has, um, I think, pushed him a little bit ahead of Mobley. I think we've seen Mobley be, I think, an all-defensive-level player. I think we've seen him be someone who has been really, really impactful as a rookie in a way that's not always the case with a rookie, right? But I think in comparing him to, let's say, Allen, I, I think it's just like a little different in terms of what they provide. I think he's just the offensive stuff is there. I think he's on like, the, if you're going to make like a big list of potential all-star candidates, he would be on that list. And I, I think he's still, you know, a, a little bit away from kind of the full-on consideration you're looking for there. I, I think he definitely just probably deserves some chatter, but, you know, I think it's it's a little early. I think he just his offensive impact just probably isn't, isn't there. But certainly defensively, I mean, he's already an all-star caliber player. What do you think Jared Allen does that makes him better on offense so far at this point in both of their careers, respectively? Uh, Allen is, I think, more efficient. He is just kind of a, he's just, I, I think, a, a better partner for Darius Garland in the pick and roll. He's, you know, he doesn't maybe, he doesn't have maybe as much potential to have like a really well-rounded modern um, offensive hub kind of role in a way that Mobley could get. We've seen like glimpses of this year, but he's really efficient. Um, he's just an incredible finisher at the rim in particular and has added some passing this year in a way he hasn't had before. He has that little 16-foot jumper from the free throw line that he can hit. He's got little jump hooks and stuff. Like there, There's just stuff he's done to add to his offensive game that was already really efficient just from his dunking and just ability to catch and finish lobs at the rim that has made him, I think, just more advanced. Like He just is – and I think he's just a little more stronger. He's a little more seasoned. He's just it kind of uh, – he's like he just kind of goes up and gets – like a lot threats in a way that, that Mobley doesn't necessarily always do. Like Allen will try to dunk everything and Mobley doesn't have or doesn't go after balls in that same way with that same aggression. I think he's just more complete more efficient right now. How shocked have you been by how well Mobley's played as a rookie? I, I think it's really surprising. I think Mobley, you know, I, I came into the year thinking, okay, this is a guy that you know, I think should be good defensively right away. We'll see what the offense looks like, and that has more true, but he's been better on defense than I think anyone, except maybe him, and maybe the Cavs, if you got them, uh, if they would tell you that maybe they thought he was going to be good on defense right away. Uh, he's been an all-defensive player, and if you look at, like, impact statistics, if you look at, like, any advanced numbers, he's impacting basketball in a way that is really, really crazy for a rookie. Most rookies come in, and they will show some really good things, and they will do some really good things and have really good games and have really good stretches and and some of them can be good, but they're not usually like helping you win games early. It's just really hard to commit at 18, 19 years old and be kind of raw, kind of be you know not seasoned, all that stuff and making it back in the ring. And Mobley's coming and done that. I mean, particularly the offensive end, like the scheme works, you know, because of him and Allen, because of what those two guys do as a duo. Mobley is the, the switch army knife. He is doing everything. He is setting the, the, the tone and, and playing two different positions on defense and, and just doing a ton of different stuff that is really advanced. And you just see them throwing more and more at him. He's handled it. The, the more he's had thrown at him, he's just gotten um, a ton thrown at him in a way that is really, really interesting. So he, he's just, I think, been a guy that has come in and been really impactful. And it's just. At, at a level that is like season NBA player, not just, you know, really talented rookie who's a top three pick. This is a guy that if he continues on this trajectory and continues to grow year in and year out, is like on track to be like one of the very best players in the NBA. Was there a moment for you, particularly when you watch Mobile play, when you're like, <clears throat> okay, 
This is a tad different. I didn't realize he was this good, whether it was in college or maybe it was his first few games to the Cavs. Was there a moment you're like, okay, this is different. I, I knew he was, you know, talented, right? But I wasn't expecting quite this. You know, it, without going through, like, notes and things, it's hard to say one. I, like, I was at Summer League, and he, I got that, like, to be honest. Like, he wasn't, he doesn't pop in Summer League. And like, that makes sense. Summer League is built for guys who can score and guys who can put up shots and guys who can, do a lot of fun stuff with the ball in their hands. And the Cavs like didn't really bring anyone to even like feed him the ball in summer league. Like, it was kind of a kind of a slog in that regard. Um, the game, if I was going to single out a game in recent memory though, the Pacers game from last week because Evan Mobley in the second half of that game, Cavs were really bad on defense in the first first quarter in particular. Were okay in the second quarter, and the third or fourth quarter, their defense was just obscene. It was just shutting down the, the Pacers' offense to a degree that is really hard to do, even if it's, like, not a good offense. And, you know, that was a team with new pieces on the floor and stuff like that. Like, they kind of dominated that game. And I look at that and say, okay, Evan Mobley can be this, like, Joey defender. He, in that game, like, he did not have a good offensive game in that game. He did not score well. You know, didn't see any stiss or really anything. But he was even, like, didn't always have – Locks and steals, like in terms of counting stats on the defensive end, but he was like the defensive defender. He was the linchpin of the defense in that game, and that's one of those moments where it's like, you want to make his case for all defense, which I think you can make. Um, I don't want to like declare that it's like he's like a lock or anything. I think he's been really good and deserves to be talked about in that way already. But like that's the game you want to cut the tape and like show up with someone and say, hey, this guy's this guy's a freak. This guy's going to be a like." I, if I had to bet, I would bet he wins like multiple defensive players. Anymore. It's because he can have games like that where he locks up down and is just a really dominant at the end of the floor. So who would you compare him to? I So I'll, I'll introduce him to it. Number one, I will note that I think comps are really tricky because I think everyone is different. I think the context of the game is different. I think personalities are really different. Um, the only one that I will make... And it's like, I, I will also caveat it by saying it is blasphemous because this is one of the best players that has ever existed. I'm like, the, the Tim Duncan parallels to me are really interesting just because Duncan was also this guy who came in and impacted winning right away. You know, and he also was playing next to a, a more, you know, God of, and David Robinson that was more established maybe than Allen is at this point, but certainly someone who was, they, they formed a partnership and hit the ground running. Um, I, I think that's like the one, just because I think you know both kind of quiet, both kind of defensive oriented guys that can play the four, play the five. Um, we'll see what Mobley's offense looks like. He has to add more to kind of get even close to what Duncan was, and like his, his obviously his resume is nowhere near close to what Duncan's is. And again, I, I think comps are well, I because I think they put a lot of weight. They can add weight to things that they don't that don't need it. Like Mobley stands at his own two feet. I think that if you're looking at like historical like, precedence for what he's doing. Like, my novice NBA historian Brian says Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan also came in and packed winning in a certain way and then grew up and, like, Mobley could be that kind of guy. And, again, I, I just will stress, I know it's very rare. You know, look at Garland. Look at Sexton, even. Look at Okoro. Like, the Cowboys and rookies have not come in and impacted winning, whether it was in terms of what wins or in terms of, like, the, the magic. Like, Mobley has done that. But, like, in that sense, he is he's kind of his own, like, unique Character in that regard. Yeah. And when you do mention it too, like, of course, Duncan was even their first year, probably a little bit better than Mobley was. I mean, Duncan's probably four years older than Mobley was when they both came in the league. Duncan was a, came in as a college senior. Yeah, and like, it, it again, came into a different situation. Like, I, I, you, I would like to know what you think about this. I didn't think the Cavs were going to be good this year. I didn't think they, I, I, I'm on that Cavs. We did a, an over under betting show, and the Cavs over under from Vegas was 26 and a half. I picked the under. I said they're going to win with fewer than 26 and a half games. I don't know if they're going to be bad this year. I thought, I, I, I think, I like as much as I love the Mobley pick, I think they made a ton of sense. I did not think that that was going to be the like a thing that catalyzed the catalyst for them. Um, I was like fairly optimistic about a lot of guys, and like I didn't think they were going to be this good right away. And it came out, <laughs> if an A they were, it'd be like Mobley would be this good right away. And he came in, um, you know, from playing USC, like two bigs and. You saw flashes up, and summer league was underwhelming, and you've been just incredible. And it's it's hit the ground running in a, in a crazy way. And I'm sure no one would have ever foreseen that he would be having a borderline all defensive kind of season. No, I, I don't think so. I think even I think if you talk to the Cavs, 
um, and asked them what they thought about stuff and asked um, what they they thought about their season's trajectory and things like that, I don't think they would have looked at it and said, yeah, like we're going to be, you know, a team that, that we think we can win first-round playoff teams. We think we're going to make a trade to give up our first-round pick in the high-tech round pick to make a win-now trade, right? Like I don't necessarily believe that the Cavs thought they were going to be um, a team to do that. I don't. I don't think the Cavs thought they were going to be a team that was going to be that good right away. I, I, again, I think they loved Mobile. I think. I think as much as like the maybe the leaking of the reporting didn't indicate that, and they were doing their homework and stuff. Um, I, I think Mobile was like the guy from the moment they got the number three pick, and they I think like the rest of the world came to think Jalen Green is going to to Houston. I kind of think the Cavs locked it on Mobley and they're like, this is the guy. This is this is that dude for us. And I don't necessarily think they thought he was going to be good this right away. They believed in him, I think, long term. Um, and, and certainly I think they hope to take a step up this year. But, like, they progressed. And it's because Mobley is already this, like, all defensive guy. I would, I would be very intrigued to see sort of the numbers at the end of the year. Um, you know, what other cases? I mean, because, like, again, like, it's hard when you watch one team off to kind of necessarily compare all the other guys that you don't see as much. But, like, I watch Mobley on a night and night basis, and you talk to people on the team, and you hear J.B. Bickerstaff talk about him, and the other guys talk about him. Like, he's the real deal. And, you, and again, he's hit the ground running in a, in a really accelerated way. Do you think, was he the Cavs' number one guy all along, or was he their number two guy? Like, if theoretically, if they had the number one pick, would they have taken him over Cade? What do you think, because you mentioned that the defense, what do you think his offensive ceiling in the league is? I think it depends on how he grows. I think, like, he, right now, um, perhaps maybe because he's, like, a little tired, perhaps because he's in a wall in certain regards, I think he's someone who is still figuring out what his offensive role is, I think. Um, he, he's shown some, he's already shown some things, some really um, promising passing out of double teams and, and out of situations where he's, is getting you know hard hard action short of him having guys show to him. Um, I think you're seeing him be a guy that can play with the ball in his hand. We've seen him bring the ball up a little bit, particularly when Derek Garland has been out. I think it was notable that he at times did bring up the ball. I think he could be like a maybe not like a one clear one guy because it's really hard to play modern offensive basketball through a interior guy as much. It just, it just is, like unless you're in beat, unless you're Jokic, and also doing some creating like. 
you're not necessarily going to be the one. And the Cavs have Garland in a way that I think that really matters for, for this kind of the parameters as long as that partnership exists. But I think he, he can be really good offensive player. I think it just depends on what he improves on. Is he going to be a three-point shooter? You know, that'll dictate how long he can play the four, I, I think, depending on whether pieces of Cleveland adds going forward. I think, you know, this is passing the road. Does his ability to create the ball in his hands? Like, there's a lot of questions about what, not, not in terms of, like, what quality will be, because I think the assumption is that he will be a good offensive player. But I think the questions are, where does he improve on and how soon does that come? Like if, he, if, if next year um, he comes in and he's like a closer to league average three-point shooter, like that, that's a really, really big deal. That's a massive deal for, for him as a player and what he could kind of do. The other part of it is like you, you can see this year, like his shot guy at times can get a little goofy. I mean, I would encourage people to watch him. So if he catches the ball on the perimeter and he stands there, he, there's like an open three there. And I don't know if it's because he's not comfortable. I don't know if he, you know, is not just just – feels good about that shot or, or doesn't trust himself to make that shot yet. But you see him then like dribble in and, and take some shots that are not necessarily well advised. And there's some of that that I think he has to um, look at a little bit more and kind of figure out how he's going to get comfortable and how he's going to find spots to be as successful with the game. Because I think that part of his game is still lacking a little bit, but I, I think he can be like a lead offensive guy. I, I think you know, he'll need a partner, whether it's, you know, Bowen being that guy, I think, for for the foreseeable future, one would think it's kind of like his partner to kind of sum him up and, and maybe do some of the, the handling of the ball late in games when, you know, he's not going to bring the ball to every possession and he's going to screen and do stuff like that. But I think there's no doubt he can be a really, really high end offensive player given time to grow. You think long term he's a better fit at center or power forward? I know that's kind of hard to say right now, but it's also very interesting because yeah. I feel like the Cavs kind of stumbled into this line with with him and Allen on the court at the same time, him and Jared Allen at the court at the same time, where it's like it just works. But you think long term, like the the goal is for him to be a center? I think it's possible. I think his three point shooting will dictate that, right? Because I think if he could be a league average three point shooter and like particularly if like a four could develop his shot or. They go find a, a three to kind of space the floor, um, you know, whether it's marketing or like whether they can do to add more shooting around him plus he grows. That to me would be the optimal way to kind of do it. I also think like the chemistry between those two guys is so outrageous, particularly in defense and, and with some of the high low passing we've seen that I don't think it's like, I would say this. I, I thought coming into the year, this was like a good starter pack for Mowgli. Like this was like the good place for him to enter the league play with someone that can physically support him and then we'll see where it is in a year we'll see what they look at it's been, but it's been so good in ways that feel real to me and sustainable that i like think if he's playing with Allen, like i think you can just play those guys together like i don't think this is like Sabonis and turner in indiana like i think this could be like a real thing you build with it'll be but i think a lot of that depends on what mobley does i think it's i think you know if he add size and, like, really grows into his body and doesn't become a shooter, then, like, that's a little bit different of a question. But if he becomes a shooter in some way, like, that helps us. I, th- I think there's just – I think it is unclear about what his, like, final end form is just because the stuff out has been so good. And, and I think there, there's just the, – we need to see how he grows. Like, how – like, I think more than any player, more than Garland, more than Allen, more than any trades they can make, I think the key to the Cleveland's future success and what that looks like is Evan Mobley. I think Mobley, as a, as a guy who's going to grow, is going to shape so much of what comes here. And like that that will answer these questions about, you know, whether he's a four or five, you know, whether, um, what his offense is doing. Like, I think that will dictate really the answer to like 95% of the Cavs' questions. How shocked are the Cavs are that they stumbled into this thing with Mobley and, and Allen, that they stumbled into this? <laughs> because it's really good! <laughs> I would love, like, you'll never get honest answers about some of this stuff. Like, you know, I think, like, there's some, I think there was, like, some skepticism from, like, you know, Mobley's people, and, and, like, I think people I talked to, like, that just, like, cover the league, much less, like, work in it about, like, what the fit was going to be. But it's been, I mean, it's been better than expected. I mean, I I think if, like, I don't know how you felt about it, but, like, when I went back to thinking about Jeff and I looking through my notes, um, I thought, like, okay, like, I thought water in it, like, Moby was going to go two, and they're going to get green, and, like, you could see the fit of that making a ton of sense, right? Like, that clearly you go, okay, we got Mobley, um, you know, maybe the guy that, we can get green to be a, a primary scorer for us, help us in a clear way, and, 
and they get Hobley, and it's like, okay, we, we're going to get Jared Allen this contract. Like, I, I you know, I guess the answer, to, where the answer to the question is, like, we'll never know. You know, some of this stuff, you'll never get the truth. The Kobe Allman doesn't do media. Like, JB's never really going to disclose this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's probably attainable, like, in the future more than it is now. But um, I think I would love to know, like, if there is any debate internally, if there is any strife internally about, okay, the Cavs should, if, if they should not give Jared Allen like $100 million, because like that was a sizable contract. It's been worth every penny. I think it was a good a good fair value for Allen and what he provides. But if you just take a note, like, is that, was that a good use of your resource? I think the answer now is yes. I think it's fair to have some skepticism at the time. And I'm sure, um, you know, maybe from an asset standpoint, I think they certainly felt like it was a, a smart decision. I wonder what I wonder if everyone thought that basketball fit was going to be as good as it was, but that, that's, I guess, the way to answer that. So you mentioned this. You bet the under on the Cavs to begin the year. Well, I, 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 didn't, I didn't bet the under, but that was like my, my not the money. Yes, yes, yes. If you knew back then right now and somebody told you the Cavs, you know, top five seed. They're top, top five seed right now in the East, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I believe so. At one point, they were like third. Uh, had a chance for home court. If I told you the Cavs had a, hand, a chance for home court in the beginning of the year, what would you have said? I would have asked, like, did LeBron come back? <laughs> like, and Kyrie. Like, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, like, did they bring back, like, the, did Kevin Love, like, resurrect himself as, like, you know, 2017's era Kevin Love again? Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things I wondered would have happened. I mean, and I would have asked about Garland. I would have asked, you know, I... I certainly wouldn't have assumed that like, Kyle Flexen would have to be Ricky Rubio with Harry Hill, and they would trade it for Karis Lever, his contract for Karis Lever. Like, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that I would have had no idea how it happened. Um, I certainly just, you know, I was wrong. I can completely wrong about this. It's just one of those things that there's always a, something that catches you by surprise, whether it's like a big thing like that or something smaller. And, um, I, I don't. I honestly probably if someone had told me that I probably would have not believed them. I think it's this is like the, the truth. Like I probably would have been like, there's just no way. There's no way this is this is like an actual thing. Yeah, that or the Bulls having the best record in the East. That that would shock some people too. I think. Uh, so yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean the East and the England, I think is like one through ten, all good teams. And like I don't know if I would have thought, um, you know, like. The Cavs would be this. I don't think I thought the Bulls would be this good. I don't know if I thought Charlotte would still kind of be this one. Like, there's a lot of stuff that has happened that I think makes the East really good. And the Cavs obviously being maybe the most surprising part of it. But the East in itself is just like kind of loaded one through ten. What do you think the Cavs' ceiling is? For, can I ask uh, in this year or the future? Uh, well, let's start with this year and then we can go to the future. Okay. But this year. I think they can win a series. I don't think they are... A title contender. I don't think the offense as it exists right now, in terms of their ability to score in the half court, in terms of their ability to um, adjust and, and and just kind of get one on one pocket to them, it really helps with that. But I think the the problem is that this team's offense is just kind of average, and like I think your offense has to be better than that and, and spaced out in in a way that it is not right now. I think. They could win a series depending on who they get. Um, if they can, if, especially if they can get home court, if they could, you know, make it to, like a run at the two seed and like get a one of the weaker teams coming out of the plane in the first round. Like that is, I think, a way to uh, make a run at it. But I think like if, you know, if it, like Philly, assuming that works out, or Milwaukee or someone in round one would be really really hard for them. I, I think they're like a step below actual contender status. Um, as I look at it right now. I think going forward, you know, it's more open-ended. It just, again, goes back to Mobley. It goes back to Garland. It goes back to how they built out this roster. There's a lot of decisions to be made in terms of the context of it all, in terms of the, you know, I think Garland's getting a max. I think, you know, you're playing for the Mobley max. Like, you know, what does the core of future look like? Like, you have a lot of roster questions, but I think because you have Garland, well, because you have Mobley first, and then you have Garland, and then you have Allen, in that order, I would rank them in terms of their, their importance to this project. I think those three guys, as like a starting point, gives you a lot of upward mobility. Like, I, 
I think assuming health, I think assuming smart roster decisions, all that stuff. You know, I mean, like, who, who could, there's a lot of stuff we just never predict. Like, who would have thought, like, there would be, like, a bubble season and, and all this other wacky stuff that was happening. But, like, I, I think the, the upward trajectory is really open to just because you have this talent that is not then growing. And, and again, in mobile, you have a guy that is on the way to being one of the best players in the league. And Garland's not too shabby himself, and Alex really good. Like, there's a lot of, um, I think, optimism that if you want to say this team is one of the future contenders, it's like them and Memphis and, like, you know, I think Denver just because of Jokic's age and stuff. Like, there's a couple teams that I think you should pretty good about in terms of their upward trajectory. And the Cavs are, I think, squarely in that group. Now, obviously, Mobley's not anywhere close to reaching his potential, but how close do you think Garland and Allen both are, respectively, into, you know, realizing their full potential? Would you say they're at yeah. 50% there, 25%? Like, like, how close are they? I think Allen's um, more towards the... I think Allen is more towards, like, the upper end. I think he's more of a finished product. But I also would have thought that this year, like, he wouldn't have added his passing. Um, he wouldn't have added some of the creation and some of the, the other stuff we've seen. Like, his post game in general is, like, a revelation. Um, that is really interesting. Um, I think Garland... I don't think Garland's quite in it. I think there's more to be done in the score. I think, you know, more ball handlers will help. I think... Um, um, I think his shot making still is like growing in real time and you're seeing him get more comfortable I think like his ceiling is not quite rigid. Like I think there's more polish on his game over the next 3-4 years that, that'll get in there I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's like 50 I don't know if it's like 60 I think guys like even as they get older will grow and change and add other games in, in very nuanced ways and then just some the, the, the easiest pops the ingrown markers to see really at this point when it's early in their career and they're still kind of adjusting to the league and stuff um I would say it, it's probably something closer to 50 for Garland and Allen's a little higher than that but I think they're still on that bench. I mean I, I think again, guys will keep adding stuff. It's maybe not as drastic of leaps like some of the big leaps statistically happened earlier on, but I think there's a ton of room for those guys. Guys still to grow. Where does Colin Sexton fit in in all this? <laughs> that is the uh, that is the hundred million dollar question or so. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, he. I, I think he, if, if anyone, in terms of injury timing, in terms of you know, some of the, the trickiness of, of what's going on with this year and the, how the team's accelerated, like, I I tend to think that he is the, the guy that is negatively impacted by this going right now, right? Because, like, this is someone who was adjusting to the role, was figuring stuff out, was uh, going to need to kind of adapt himself and while also betting on himself in terms of finding that contract. And it has changed, right? Like, it has... Um, it is it is tricky to imagine that like they would have thought they're going to be this good without him this year, and I don't think that's necessarily like fair to like uh, put his value in some of that. But it, it's going to be an argument the team makes over his contract, and like it's going to be these magicians. I mean, he went from being a uh, from being a CAA client to a clutch client, which is also the West Garland agency, and it's, you know, so Bond agency, and J.R. Smith, and George Clarkson, and Tristan Thompson. Like, the Cavs have, like, a, a relationship with the clutch, and getting gives them with the clutch, and they're also going to push for him to get his max value, and I don't know what that is. I mean, I think I think there's a clear role for him that I think they'd be better with him this year, full stop, from a spacing perspective, from a scoring perspective. Like, I'm a Colin Sexton believer, um, but I think, like, Garland's getting the max, like, I'm, and I think Garland's better. I, I think Mobley, you know, does he? How does he get with Mobley? Can you turn him into a couple other things via sign and trade or something? Like, I think you will see a lot of different avenues explored. I think it's more likely that he's back next year than not on some kind of extension. But I, I want I, I think it's like an open-ended question. We, we don't know right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions about him that I think are impossible to to know about um, until. We get there. You know, I, I think until we see like the, the summer happen, we see all the plans go. There's just a ton of information and data that needs to be collected before we kind of figure it out. 
Do you think he's better suited as a six man? With the, like, I do. Um, but I also think I also think like that's that's not like a I don't and six man is maybe like an unfair way of putting it. Like I think he's a guy that could be in your closing lineups. Yeah, um, I, you know, maybe him, maybe him and Levert are kind of like redundant in that regard, and I'm, I'm, I think that's like a very fair consideration going forward, assuming Levert, you know, um, and, and like assuming his health and all that, and, and Jackson comes back from his injury, obviously, like I, I think there are questions. Well, I assume they'd have to eventually flip one of those guys. Well, see, I don't even know if that's true because I think you, this team is like. Like, before they got Levert, and this is, like, obviously after Sexton and after Ruby, I think they looked at Rubio, Sexton, and Garland and said, okay, here's our three ball handlers. Like, these are guys that are going to handle the creation duties for us. They're going to do a lot of that work for us. And then they were down to two, and the offense was, like, still kind of average, even with Rubio playing out of his mind. And then it, like, was tricky. Like, it stayed average-ish without Rubio. And it's, like, you go get Levert to kind of help with things. Like, Sexton could help with that, too. He's a really good force spacer. He's a really good cutter. Like, I don't. I, I think it is less about like needing to flip one of those guys because they're redundant, and more about the money. Because I think like this team is already kind of expensive. They're they're close to luxury tax, and like you know, which people should have the ability to hit attacks, but certainly you only do when you're like in that what you think is your championship window. Like I think what happens, um, in, in my opinion, here with some of this is what you want to look at is what does the money come out as, and I think you want to figure what his role is like you know does it make sense to start um you know do you want to have you have to, do you how do you stagger him and him and Levert you know how do you stagger him and Garland and Levert like you know does does one of like does does it make sense for some of them to for them to come off the bench in, in some way and like is it Levert or is it Sexton like how does that impact you defensively like there's all these considerations and, and stuff I mean again I, this is why I think it's so tricky that Collins out this year I don't think like him being healthy now would have necessarily precluded them from looking at someone like Lurie. Maybe makes it less likely to some degree, and you know we'll, we'll kind of see how that how that could work and stuff. But I also just I also think I look at it and say, like I I think he has a skill set that could be really valuable. It just will come down to money, and it will come down to just sort of how they think some of this fits and um, how they decide they want to build around Mobley and Garland as like your two tentacles with Allen being the third. I think are really fascinating questions that I don't think like, we know the answer to. You know, I, I think there's a how the season goes could have a could have a big impact on and some of the decision making in the summer. So now I want to go to this because you mentioned you started covering the Cavs in what 2018. So I kind of started covering them. Um, from, I was in college before I covered them from afar, but in, I graduated college in 2016, and that's what. I don't know. Time time doesn't feel real to me. Like this, this feels like ten years ago. Um, I've been covering them like in some way since like 2012 as like a blogger and stuff. But like in person a lot since I graduated college in the spring of 2016, starting at that that fall of 2016 into the 2016-17 season. Okay, so I, I wanted your opinion on this. So that Cavs run with LeBron and Kyrie, how special of a run was that? It's all time. You know, it is, um, you know, I think the 2016-17 team, like, didn't win a title, and it was, like, maybe the best Cavs team we have ever seen um, in that regard, right? Like, I think that was uh, a really interesting just situation. I think you had just, like, really crazy high-level guys in, including in a way you're just, you might never see before. Like, LeBron James, like, Evan Mobley could be one of the best players in NBA history that like, he gets there, but like the odds of him being LeBron are like slim because LeBron is, in my opinion, uh, the best player that has ever existed. And if not number one, he's, he's number two behind uh, behind Michael Jordan. So like it, it's hard to hit, hit those heights, and it's just it, it was crazy and stressful and captivating and and crazy to follow and to read about and, and think about and, and do all that stuff about in just in a way that I think. Um, it's absolutely just kind of crazy to to think about retrospect. Like, like this era, by comparison, is like it's very fun. This is like the found money season. This is like the the kind of like the, the honeymoon season in a lot of ways. If you go back to that, it was like stressful. It was you know like all the stuff with LeBron and, and Vlad, and then like LeBron and Kyrie, and like all the all the stuff there was just very intense and very stressful and very. 
weighty. And, like, that that is also, like, that's the price you pay to try to um, win a championship and, and maximize LeBron. And these things can be contentious, and, and that's how they are. But it was, it's, it's a one-of-one one era. There will never be, I think, anything that can ever compare um, to that. I, I don't think there can ever be another era of basketball just because of, for, for a ton of reasons that can ever compare to what that era was. It, it will go down, I think, is, is frankly like a, a one-of-one era. And it was, like, even just being around to the end of it and covering it from the end of it, stuff like that, like, um, a very, a very crazy thing that I do not think, um, I certainly will ever be around or cover anything like that again. 2016, the Cavs come back from 3-1. Is that the best series ever, in your opinion? Where does that rank for best series ever for you? Uh, it's probably the best I've ever watched. I mean, I had a weird um, viewing experience with that series because I had so I graduated college in May of that year, and I was in I took a graduation trip with my dad and went to Norway, and I was in Norway for like June eighth to like June seventeenth or something like that. Like I was there for like eleven days. Um, and I wasn't, like, I woke up the morning that, like, Draymond had hit LeBron below the belt and, like, saw it out on Twitter. Um, I, like, I remember, like, where I was and, like, I'll be, I, this is, like, a, a subplot of that, not a subplot, but, like, a minor note in that series. Like, Muhammad Ali died that June and LeBron had eloquently, like, you, you would address him. And I remember, like, being in the airport on my computer, like, writing, a, like, a news post about what LeBron had to say about that and, like, trying to make a social graphic and stuff. And, um, it, it was nuts. I mean, and following it from afar, watching it when I came back, um, you know, watching Game Seven was was crazy. Um, and and you can go right now on YouTube. The NBA still has the last like several minutes of the game up. Um, you know, culminating in, in the block, the Kyrie shot, the Kevin Love stop, the the almost dunk on Draymond. Like that three minutes of basketball at the end of Game Seven is the best basketball I've ever watched live. Full stop. It, it nothing. I think we'll ever, we'll ever surpass that for me. Um, certainly, like, the, the best basketball I've seen on TV, I think I've, like, seen some of the stuff in person, um, you know, maybe a little different in how you do, but, like, that game, that, you can watch that now, it holds up. You know how it's going to turn out. You know how um, it's going to be, but it still holds up now. It's just incredible. Like, I just, you can go find it on the YouTube page. You can just, it is nuts how well that series just holds up from attention standpoint. And to me, it is, it is probably the best series that, that has ever happened. At what point during that series were you kind of like, was there any point in the series where you're like, okay, there's no way they're going to beat the Warriors? And then were you kind of like, oh my gosh, they're actually going to do it. <laughs> like, yeah, this flipped. Yeah, yeah, I think 3-1. Um, like, most people, I just like, thought they would probably do that. I thought they were probably underdogs coming into the series. Um, but, I, I mean, you get to game, I, I kind of figure you get to game seven, like, anything's up in the air. Like, you get to, I, I just, it just felt like they were going to wait a few dollars all the way to game seven and, and things to kind of work their way. But, that could, have just, that could have just been the optimist to me. So then, how much do you think Kevin Durant changed the game in that? Because I always feel like if KD never goes to Golden State, then the Cavs might run off like two or three in a row. And maybe Kyrie yeah. never wants to leave. Like, the course of NBA history just changes. Yeah, I think that's, that's totally fair. And I think, you know, um, I think the 2016 17. Cavs season, um, that team, particularly often during the floor, was the best team of the Cavs era. Like I, that team had a historic favorite offense, just was absolutely nuking people, and was just frankly flat out incredible. And I do not think that um, they were ever as good as they were. But Katie was on the team. Like I, I, it just felt like they were like swinging uphill the whole time playing the, the Warriors um, in that series. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was crazy and. Like, I was, um, I, I remember being, I was there, this would have, I don't mean, I might have been game three, yeah, it would have been game three, that the, the, the KD shot that he hits over LeBron, the pull-up three, he hits late in that game. I have never seen an arena get quieter, I've never seen a more cold-blooded shot in person, like, I've seen, like, some LeBron game winners, like the one he hit over Jimmy Butler when the Cavs were the Wolves, and then he jumped over Anthony Thomas. Like I was like, come out. Like I was there for some other stuff, but like the KD shot over LeBron is the best shot I've ever seen in person, and it just like it's like I don't I don't know what you do with that, you know. Um, 
I, I think so. Like, I, if you if you to put them in a round robin term and everything equal, like I would pick the 2016-17 Cavs team as the best team of that second LeBron era, and like they they weren't even really close to winning a title in that sense. And 2018, how shocked were you that team even got to the finals? It's just that that's like one of the, the first second page things of the LeBron James uh, go case, right? Like oh, I agree. Thirty four nine and nine, fifty yeah. percent shooting. <laughs> he he was insane, and like that team was flawed. Like they had to make these like crazy roster moves that were like sort of flawed and and didn't totally help them. Um, you know, going forward with some of that stuff, like it was a little goofy in terms of. Um, you know, like how the team worked. Like they, like I mean, like you know, Nance and Clarkson, some of those guys are like not even on the team now. You know, um, like they are crazy. You know, in the sense that like they, like just kind of short, like kind of just made it work with some of the teams that they had, and like that in itself was like just LeBron winning them there. Like then he plays game one, and like they almost win, and then the jail thing, like all that stuff happens. Which like you know, there's there's much better way you can go revisit that than, than like talking, talking about it or whatever. But like, it was just one of those crazy things. It's like he just kind of willed them there, and it's like they don't get like that team had no business um, getting to the finals, and yet it did because of LeBron being just absolutely insane. That fifty-one nine nine game that. That that was one of the five best games in my opinion of LeBron's career. I know there's the the one in Detroit where he scores like 25 straight points. There's the Miami Heat one where he drops 46 in Boston. Uh, th- there's a lot of good ones, but even in a loss, that game was phenomenal. The way he tore apart Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know like what was going on. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a, a more singular LeBron game where like he did everything he could, you know. Um, there will probably never be another LeBron game like that. There will like that was one of those one of one just crazy performances. I mean, like the fact that they went sort of like I don't think they win that series, but the fact they almost like took a game off that Warriors game with the roster he had is is insane. You know, it it, it, and it magnifies obviously the of it all and and you know the missed free throws and stuff. But like it it just remains like a it's just, it, it just one of those insane. Kind of things that I, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around, like the, the Cavs didn't getting to where they were, much just based on the talent they had, or had retrospect. So the next morning, how are you feeling? Are you kind of like how, how like how the hell did they lose that game? <laughs> I, 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 it's just like a fluke. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where like stuff happens and you miss the free throws and the JR thing happens, and you know it's kind of over from there. So I, I think it's just one of those things. Like you just kind of slip at the end, and it's. Uh, just it, it's cliche, but just didn't execute totally at the end. And I think that you know, without like, I I, I, I think I've maybe watched that game one time since, just to, like after the fact, just kind of revisit some of that. And I don't think I've watched it in quite a while. Um, but I, I it just from memory, it's like an execution thing. You know, it is just kind of not fully um, maximize the opportunity you had at the end of that game. What do you think the feeling about LeBron James is in Cleveland? I, I think it depends on the different. I think it depends on different people. Like I think it depends on um, their, you know, opinions of him, of him coming and going, a, a lot of stuff. Like, like I, I think it just depends on their opinions. Like, I don't think there's like a general Cleveland opinion. I think you know, I think everyone for the most part is. Like grateful that he won him with that. I think some people don't like him because he left and, and, and whatnot. And um, I'm not sure, but like I, I think generally, like I think he's an icon in the city because he won a title. But I, I think like the, the, the opinions other than that are probably a little more granular based on everyone as, as an individual. So I was talking to a friend about this. So when he retires, he has to go into the hall as a Cavalier, right? Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. I don't think there's like a, a question. What about Kyrie? Was Ky- is Kyrie going to go into the Hall as a Cav? I assume Kyrie's Kyrie's... Gonna go in. Ky- Ky- I mean, he's going to go in as Kyrie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kyrie is Kyrie. Like, he, I don't think he, like... I, I think like, there's obviously there's been some, like, LeBron tension. I think the Kyrie thing with the Cavs is, like, even weirder to some degree. Um, so, it, it, it's just... That, all that is just kind of weird. But, Ky- yeah, Ky- LeBron probably does... And, in some way, and then Kyrie's kind of just Kyrie. But it feels like that stuff is also less 
it feels like the, the basketball is also just like a little more about like the, the accomplishments of the guy and like the NFL where it's like you know like it'll be a bigger deal if like Brady goes in as a Patriot or a Buck or whatever um, so it, I think that stuff may be like a little bit different and uh, you know we'll, we'll see how that goes lastly I want to get your opinion on this uh if they found a way to keep that Cavs team together, let's say Kyrie never, for whatever reason, decides to want to trade, they're able to keep this love LeBron Kyrie thing going. During that span, Toronto won a championship. You had Milwaukee get out of there. Could could they still have won the East those years? I, I think it's possible. Um, I think certainly, you know, what happens to Kevin Love there? Can they make other changes to the roster? Um, you know, like all of that stuff would be, I think, interesting to kind of consider, you know. Um, I, I think that is an open-ended question about, like, how they would have competed. And, like, I, I think the biggest question is, like, okay, the draft roster clearly needs, like, if the roster that existed in the 2018 finals was LeBron's roster to play with for 2019 and, and into the next couple of years, like, I, I, that roster clearly wouldn't have been as good as the roster you had with the Lakers or good enough to win a title. I think that roster needed to be overhauled again, and how the Cavs would have done that um, would have been, I think, really interesting to see how that could have ha- would have happened or not. But I, I think it's possible. I think it just depends on sort of unknowable questions of, okay, they they go into that summer. I think they kind of knew. I think everyone, they, they knew he was going out at a certain point. They take conversations. You know, if they had, if they knew he was going to, if they said, I'm standing, you know, even if it's like Kyrie so gone at that point, um, and it's like him and Love, and then like they have this other flexibility, like how they retool from there, I think would have, would have had more to do with it than, you know, um, than, than we, like we can speculate. Like it's just not, we don't know what those moves would have been or what was really on the table. Um, but if, if there was room to get another co star in or, you know, whoever it might have been, and add in some of the veteran pieces and stuff, like, and assemble sort of what he had in L.A. for that season. And, you know, Ty Lue stays and everything like that, because remember, he gets fired very soon that first year after LeBron. There's, like, a lot of unknowns that are just sort of off ones. But I think, you know, LeBron, you have a chance. And I think it just would have been about the moves they would have made to kind of support him as he went forward. Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. And once again, I want to thank Chris Manning for calling the pod. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 395th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.